Tonight is May 25th, 2016. The title of tonight's sermon is Love Calls. Love Calls. If you'll turn to Exodus chapter 19 with me. We're so glad that you're here. We have visitors and those that we haven't, uh, that aren't quite yet home folk. We're going to, you know, if we see you again, then we're just going to start calling you home folk and uh, uh, be part of what we do. Uh, I'd like to recognize my friend who's here tonight from Baton Rouge, Steve Ware. He's here with us. He is a friend of not only mine, but of the Stevens and the P. Rose. Uh, actually went to the high school, I went to high school with Jen and Eric and Matt and so many of them and and uh, so I just I appreciate Steve being here. He's here uh, on a work assignment, but we I, I'm glad that he is here with us tonight for sure. Amen. Exodus chapter 19 verse 1 says this: In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. Everybody say went up. And the Lord called to him. This is the first time in Scripture that we see that the Lord called. That Yahweh called to someone. Um, And it's this idea, the idea of love calling us. Of God calling us, but there's a love that calls us that he sends. I want us to turn, we're going to review. We're going to review a little bit. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 18. Boy, it's quiet in here tonight. I feel like I'm by myself. Come on, I need you. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 18 says this. This is what the Lord says. God, don't you love it when you just can know what the Lord says to you? Goodness gracious. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving. And the sound of rejoicing, I will add to their numbers, and they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor, and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old, and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. It matters to the Lord what happens to us. It matters to the Lord how we treat those around us. We've gone over this before, but it matter- if the Lord cares about a bird that falls out of a nest... He actually cares about a bird that falls out of his nest. And there's no no equating us as children of God to a bird, and yet God cares about them. How much more will he care about us? How much more does he know your situation? How much more? When we're in the presence of God and we have a, a great worship time like we did tonight, and hopefully we'll have another one of those coming up here shortly, Are you worried about anything? If you're standing in this room and you're allowing yourself to go into His presence, you're allowing yourself to enjoy the presence of God that is here, what can you possibly worry about in that moment? Does it matter if you're dealing with things at work? Does it matter what your bank account looks like? Does it matter even physically how you feel? If you feel God's presence, what else matters? nothing we we want to be lovers of his presence why because that's exactly where he is and where he is sin is not allowed destruction is not allowed worry is not allowed we want to come close to him why because we love him because we can sense him because we are made whole in that moment when we are with him like that i am whole i'm sitting on the front row i'm thinking about everyone in this room And sometimes I have to be honest and I quit thinking about everybody in the room. I'm just like, Lord, I'm whole right now. There's nothing I desire but you. There's nowhere else I'd rather be but right here. There's nothing else. This is a moment with the God of all creation. He cares about what's going on. Their children would be as in days of old and their community would be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Verse 21, their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near. Everybody say, bring him near. near. And he will come close to me. Say, come close to me. me. But wait, this is the Old Testament. But wait, this is a prophet in the Old Testament. I thought God was a God of judgment in the Old Testament. This is what he's saying. Moses went up on the mountain. You know what happened? God called. God came near. Jeremiah, 
I will bring him near and he will come close to me. Let's turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse 28. But as for me, (laughs) as for all of us, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Starting in verse 15 says this, And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of irregulation as to his ancestry, but but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. What is God drawing us near to? He's causing us to draw near to his indestructible life. I have to be honest with you. As a kid, yes. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. And for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced. Everybody say better hope. Which, by which we draw near to God. The better hope allows us to do what? To draw near to God. (laughs) I love the phrase indestructible life. He's got an indestructible life. He's already given his life. He's already laid it down and picked it back up again. He's already said, I've got a better hope that's introduced, which by which we draw near. This better hope of an indestructible life is how we draw near. Turn just a few pages. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Interesting way to put it, right? A little double negative. We do not have a priest who is unable. So that means we have a priest who is able. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with intrepidation. Just making sure you're reading along with me. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. How are you doing approaching the throne of grace? Not arrogance, but confidence. How are you doing? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's go back to chapter 7. Take a look starting in verse 26. You've heard these scriptures. I'm not trying to cover the scriptures. I'm trying to uncover the Scriptures for you. We're trying to let it sink in and in different ways so that we can respond properly to what God is doing in our midst. Chapter 7, verse 26 says this, Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when He offered Himself. For the law appoints uh, as high priests men who are weak. (laughs) But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. The point of what we're saying is this. Next chapter, first verse. We We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord and not by man. Let's continue to to understand this principle of drawing close. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and let's start in verse 22. says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
The virgin will be with child and will, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... Um, we are trying to draw near to the Lord, but do you understand that the Lord wants to draw near to us? Amen. There is a desire. Out of all the things that could have been said, this is the birth of Jesus, right? We're here in the New Testament after, after years of silence through the Scripture. And He's here. And you know what they remind you of? They remind you of a Scripture that says, His name will be called Emmanuel. God with us. Yes, He will be called Mighty Counselor, uh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, and in this moment He says, I want to remind you of something. I want to be with you. Turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And verse 14. Actually, let's go to 13. It says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to Him those He wanted. And they came to Him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles. Why? That they might be with Him. Are, are you understanding this? Jesus called the ones that He wanted and they responded. Amen. Well, that's not fair. He said, no, 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 no. He's wanting us and He's drawing us close and He designated them apostles. Why? I gave you special privileges so you could be with me. That is a, this is a God who wants to draw near to us. But when does He want to draw near to us? What did the apostles do? Daily. All day, every day. Everywhere they went, they wanted to be with Him and He wanted to be with them. Let's turn to James chapter 4 and verse 8. James chapter 4 and verse 8. It says this, Come near to God and He will come near to you. <laughs> There's no other religion in the world that says this. There's no other understanding in the world that presents this. Come near to God and what happens? He comes near to you. We're not saying that we're going to build a ladder to Him all by ourselves. Amen. We're not saying that we can earn it and, and somehow build a Tower of Babel that reaches all the way to the heavens by our own strength. What we're saying is, Lord, we're going to take steps towards You and like the, like the uh, prodigal son, like the father who sees his son afar off and runs to him, runs towards the son and brings him back with love. We're saying that when we go towards God, you know what happens? Just like with Moses on Mount Sinai, God calls. God responds. He sees and He begins to impart His very nature into us. So how does this relate to us? It's got to be more than just a concept that we go, yes, we will come near to God and He will come near to us. It can't be only cerebral in our life. It's got to be experiential. Amen. Lord, I, I want to be near to You. Lord, wherever You are and whatever You're doing and whatever You're saying, I want to be near to You. And I need You to be near to me. Lord, I trust You that if I come with whatever little that I have, if I'm like the boy with the loaves and the fish, Lord, I come to bring it to You and I know that if You're with me, then it doesn't matter about the rest of the circumstances. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter the difficulty. It doesn't matter how long. It doesn't, nothing else matters except that You're with me. More than accomplishing my job, more than raising my kids, more than loving my wife. Lord, I want to be with you. And because I do, then I can love my wife properly. Amen. I can parent my children. Yes. I can fulfill every responsibility Amen. that God has for me to fulfill. We can see sickness fall off of our lives. We can do exactly what God has called us to do. But it is in the drawing near that we find exactly what God is interested in. Let's turn 
to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. You'll have to excuse me just a little bit. I am enjoying feeling God's presence right now. These are not tears because I'm trying to be overly emotional or to play on your emotions. I just feel God's presence. I'm just trying to be near to Him and apparently more so He's trying to be near to me. I love what God is doing in this church. I love the fact that some, the Lord is building in an understanding of the Word. I I love the fact that for some of us, God is giving us an understanding of the power of His Spirit and how to walk in that in our everyday lives. I even love the fact that some of us are developing deep convictions about what He's teaching us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Hebrew way to say that is, I'll, try to, I'll give it a whirl here, so be gracious to me. Shema Yahishrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Here, O Israel, the Lord... Now. I figured this out tonight, I guess, or I guess I knew it and forgot it till tonight. But here, O Israel, the Lord. The Lord there is the word Yahweh. And because of the reverence for the name of Yahweh, we've in the saying, it's Adonai. Shema Yahishrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai Ehad. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And on the screen, I I put something for you because I learned this tonight. I I didn't know this before today, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, Hebrew reads from right to left, right? So the first word, Shema, are the first three letters there. Okay? Shin is the very one all the way to your right. Does everybody see where I'm? wish I had a little laser pointer so I could help make sure. But all the way to the right, Shin, Mem, Ayin. Okay? In the actual text, that letter is larger than the other letters. You can see it a little bit there. It's written just at a, at a you know, have font, but I'll, I'll use the word font since we all understand the size of, the, of letters there. Yeah, uh, Israel, all the way down to the Ihad, all the way to the left, which would be the last word in this sentence, the last letter there of those three letters is a Dalit. Okay. So the last letter of the first word, the last letter of the last word of this sentence are slightly increased in size. The Jews took note of this and they understand that there was some another uh, meaning below the surface. If you put those two letters together, you get the one down at the bottom of the screen. The Strong's number is 5707. It's a masculine noun meaning witness. Can I get a witness? Right? So you've got within this, what is going on? Within the statement of, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're getting a witness of some kind that's going on. Okay? Let's continue to read this, and I'm going to, but keep, go ahead and leave that on the screen if you would, Susan. Verse 5 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. You know why it gives the commands there? Because chapter 5 basically is a recap. We're recapping the law that was given. The commands that were given. But look at verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'd like a response. Is this a command, or is this a promise? A command or a promise? Let me help. Let me see. Hopefully the Lord will give me grace to explain this. Love the Lord. You. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Sorry, I didn't mind. All right. 
with all your strength. So this is giving us, is it giving us instructions to do this? Or is it saying, I promise you, I promise, if you seek after me, you will love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. What if it's giving a witness that it's both? What if it's saying, Lord, Lord, I want to do this. Lord, I commit to you. I want to, I want to go after you. I want to love you with all of my heart. <laughs> but what if he says, yes. And if you have the desire, if you draw near to me, what is he going to do to us? He's going to draw near to us. Can any of us by in and of ourselves, in and of our own strength, can you love the Lord with all? I, I sure am going to try. I sure will make that my goal every day. I will never give an excuse for myself. And how often is God asking us to do something that's beyond what we can do? Well, all the time. God will never put you under more than you can handle. If you could handle it, why would we need Him? We're raising a very self-sufficient kind of group, and I don't want to be self-sufficient. I want to hold both of these truths together. Lord, I will try with every ounce. I will... Lord, I want to be willing to die for you. And I don't count my efforts as anything before you. It's got to be your strength that's in me. People want it to be an either or. We want to go towards one where where I can put my hands on it. And this is me and look what I'm doing. It's got to be God's strength. Or people default to, hey, God will do it if he wants to. And they have no effort whatsoever. What if it's a witness of both? What if it's a command and it's a promise to us? Come on now. This is, this is a powerful thought. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. What if in drawing close... I, Pastor Eric uh, preached on this on Monday night. If you're missing on Monday nights, I understand there may be responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. I encourage you, Monday nights are not a, a meeting that you want to miss. I even had what Pastor Eric taught in my Bible. I had the little notes off to the side already. Sorry, covered up my mic. I had it and I was like, yeah, amen. And I still got slapped in the face. I was like, oh, that's so good. I even knew the details. Oh, there's revelation there that hit in such a way. I've heard him teach this before. I went, man, that's what I want to uncover, right? Let's, talk, let's turn to Leviticus. Uh, Susan, you can put the, the next slide up there. Okay, so here it is. We're just going to leave this on the screen for a little while as we do this. Let's look at up in the left-hand corner. To Corban is to bring something near. The revelatory piece to me was understanding these are each one of these words. We'll go over them here in just a second. But on the first step down here at the bottom left, you find that in Leviticus Leviticus 1. Second step, Leviticus 2, all the way up through Leviticus 5. Okay? But this idea of a korban is to bring something near to the Lord. We even went through the Paleo-Hebrew on Monday night. But that something is brought near. But the revelatory part for me was this. The first three offerings, and by the way, we, we did literally have someone ask us on the mission field. So why is Leviticus even in the Bible? Uh, seriously? Appreciate you asking to learn, but the idea that any part of the Bible is somehow expendable. Is it was a shocking was a shocking thing, but we come here and let's look at let's do a review again. We're uncovering. Did anybody remember all these off the top of your head? If you did, well then maybe this is slightly unnecessary. But I'm trying to dig in. I've been spending time thinking on it. I'm driving around doing my job this week, and I'm like, hola. hola. <laughs> I'm thinking of Mincha. I'm literally thinking through it. Lord, Lord, continue to speak to me about this, right? So let's look at Leviticus 1, 
start in verse 1. The Lord called to Moses. Huh, there it is again. Exodus 19, Yahweh called. Leviticus 1.1, 1, 1, Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. Is there any mention in here about sin? There's no mention about it being a sinful offering. You did something wrong, therefore come to the Lord. This is saying, hey, if you just want to draw near to Him, you don't have to have... <laughs> I, I'm a terrible gift giver, by the way. I'm terrible. Birthdays, anniversaries, I struggle. Because my wife is the good one on these kind of things, and she's usually the one buying the gifts and putting my name on them. I mean, not that I've ever done that to you guys. <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. I'm terrible. I try to be good. I'm terrible. Right? What my wife has often told me, which I fail at more than I succeed at, is, hey, you know, it'd be nice every once in a while just to get a gift just because. And I'm like, baby, I love you. Yes, I will try to do that. And it's not until the next birthday that I roll out some pitiful card and, you know, gift card inside of it or something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. I really do. I'm terrible, right? Uh, but the idea of just coming and bringing gifts just because, that's actually what we're starting to talk about here. Hey, if you're just there and you're overcome by how good the Lord is in your life and you just want to bring something to Him, let me tell you how to do it. If the offering, the Ola, is a burnt offering from the herd, and it starts going down and giving instructions on it. So the word there is Ola. You see the, the name is in Hebrew, all caps, all the way up. The number is the Strong's number, so you can go look it up. I love that about our church. If we learn something, we'll gladly tell you where we saw it, where we thought about it. You go read it. Maybe you'll learn something and teach us. The word Ola means steps or ascending or up in smoke. I'll quickly move on from that reference. Steps or ascending or up in smoke. Where what happens is the, the, the offering is consumed on the fire. And the idea is that the smoke will rise up to the Lord um, to start letting Him know that you're trying to ascend. Hey, Lord, I, Lord, I pray that You can consume my life. Lord, I want to start giving my thoughts towards You. Like Philippians 4 that says, What's a, think, think on the things that are holy and just and honorable. Colossians says, set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. What are you doing? He's saying, let's start to get an offering going. Let's start to, to fan into flame the gift that's here. When we're referring to these things in the New Testament, they always have the Old Testament basis. We have isolated these things and removed them. When we, <laughs> what we see here in Leviticus is God saying, yeah, that's good. Come to me and give me an offering. It's good that you come and give me an offering just because. Just because He's good just because He's faithful, just because He's powerful, just because He is. The word ola there is a, lot, is a, is a close derivative of to aliyah, to go up. Um, Susan, can you go to that other slide and then we'll come back to this one in just a second. The Hebrew feasts. There are three of these main feasts that the Hebrews would aliyah. They would go up to Jerusalem. Okay, we have Passover, or the Hebrew word is Pesach. Everybody say Pesach. Pesach. Starts on Nisan, the 14th day of Nisan. Unleavened bread. Hag Hamatzot. I'm not going to ask you to repeat some of these because I probably don't do them well. The first fruits. All three of these are, you can see the dates there. They're very close to each other. First fruits, they're all in the same month. Reshith. The Feast of Weeks are Pentecost, Shavuot. The trumpets 
on the first of Tishri, or Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Or the Feast of Tabernacles, which in Hebrew is Sukkot. The three main ones here are number one, the Passover, or Pesach. Number four, Shavuot. And number seven, Sukkot. These are the three times a year that they would make Aliyah. They would go up to Jerusalem. They would go up to Jerusalem. They would start making their way to the Lord. We can go back to the other one, Susan. So we have an Ola. Uh, let's, let's look at a few scriptures here. Turn to John chapter 7. You can keep your place in Leviticus because we'll come back. John chapter 7. And verse, let's start in verse 6. John 7, 6. Say there when you're there. Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Is that true or not true? Is that still true? Yeah. Because I testify that what it does, what the world does, is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not come. Not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also. This is not Jesus being tricky. This is not Jesus being deceptive or double-minded. It literally wasn't the right time when he said it. And shortly thereafter, guess what? It was the right time. Uh, how, uh, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, Where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Verse 14, Not until halfway through the feast... Did Jesus go up to the temple courts? He went up to the temple courts. Um, let's take a look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24 and verse 3. Psalm 24, 3. says this. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who, do not lift, who does not lift his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God His Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Those who seek the Lord... God will allow them to ascend His holy hill, right? Let's go back to Leviticus. So we have an Ola in Leviticus 1. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 1. When someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be a fine flour. He is to pour oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priest. So in the first verse there, we have a grain offering or the mincha. Everybody say mincha. It is a bloodless, voluntary tribute. In this case, it was a grain offering. Does it say anything about sin yet? No. This is a sacrifice. We start off by saying, Lord, we want to draw near to You. We want to come and we want to have our lives rise up before You like, like smoke of something that has been completely consumed. Lord, we want to have a voluntary tribute to You. A bloodless voluntary. Lord, I want to serve You. Lord, I want to know You more. Lord, I want to want You more. There's probably a better way to say that, but that was, that's been my prayer for a lot of the years of my life. Lord, I want to want You more. I'm not even saying that I can want you properly. But I want to. <laughs> but I sure am trying. Lord, I want to have this bloodless, voluntary tribute. 
Let's turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 23. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful there. Come on, on a Wednesday night, let's, let's, not, <laughs> let's not doze off in our, no, in our noggins and in our hearts. My Father will love him. We obey what the Lord says. God himself will love him, and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. No, I really love the Lord. Brother, you're not obeying. No, but I love Him. I really do. No. You show your love when you obey, period. There is no way that you can say it and not be doing it. Or, believe the Bible calls you a liar. If you say that you're going to love your brother, if you say these things and you're not actually doing it, the Bible has no problem telling you exactly what you are. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. How many of you know you want to have Jesus' peace with you? Jesus' peace with you. I do not give as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer for the Prince of this world is coming. By the way, he has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is Even Jesus has a voluntary, bloodless tribute that He does unto the Lord. I do exactly what He says. My obedience I give to Him as tribute. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6. And let's start in verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. That's kind of cool. Literally, every six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop! One, two, <laughs> And sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. This is not a very expedient process. Sometimes our worship to the Lord, our offering to the Lord, is not the most expedient thing, but that's not what he's after. He's not after to see how efficient you can be with your offering. We have done that in our culture. We have determined that speed and efficiency is a very important thing. God is not nearly as concerned with that as He is about our obedience and our offering to Him. Or us drawing near to Him and Him drawing near to us. We view ourselves as failure when we try something for God and we don't see an immediate return on our effort. Well, I, I mean, I, I gave a bloodless voluntary tribute and he didn't respond within the allotted time. <laughs> then you didn't offer him a bloodless voluntary tribute. You offered him something that you decided. You didn't find a prescribed way to do it. You just... Come on. Let's go. Yeah, that's not how the Lord works. It's both ways. We're going to have the witness of both of these things. If you do that, then you have to understand that you're not giving the right kind of sacrifice to the Lord. If you've given something to the Lord and you haven't seen it yet and you feel like a failure, stop feeling like a failure. Step in faith. How many times do we make decisions in our life and they're based in fear? Even if you make the right decision, you're wrong. You know why? Because you just did it in fear. Well, I'm going to discipline my kids. Why? I'm going to discipline my kids because they're wrong 
and they need to understand, and I'm, gonna, I'm helping to shape and form them, to teach them and to train them. Not, oh my God, if I don't do something about it, he's going to be like a serial killer. Going to end up in jail one day. Y'all are awful quiet. I don't know if that's good or bad. They're like, we've thought that in our house. Ooh, no, stop. Not a serial killer. <laughs> Maybe not that one. <laughs> Maybe I overshot it just a touch. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Sorry about that, right? So I overshot it to allow you to have room to fall in there and understand when you make the decision out of fear. You can't make it out of fear. You can't parent out of fear. You have to parent out of faith. Why? Because if you parent out of fear, God is not pleased with you. Every time, every day, all the way around. No matter if the world is trying to convince you that fear is the only way to do this. This is when the pressure that the world is putting on us and it's exerting spiritual forces against us is trying to cause us to conform. That is the pressure. So it's either pressuring us pressuring us to conform, or we're battling back and the violent are taking it by force. Luke 16, 16. There's no other way. We're either offering unto the Lord and saying, Lord, yeah, this one right here, man of God. My kid right here, woman of God. This situation right here, Lord, it looks terrible. I'm going to be honest with you, Lord. That looks terrible. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust in you. Lord, show me what I need to do the steps that I need to take when I need to take them, the steps that I need to be still and know that you're God. Lord, I need you to speak to me about this because it looks terrible. But I'm not going to respond in fear just because it looks terrible. I'm not going to judge before the right time when I see in the situation. I'm not going to presume the 14 steps between now and the end. Fear causes us to do that, right? We've talked about this before. What does fear do? Fear sounds rational. It's not. It causes us to look and go, well, if this, if this happens, then this will happen, and then that will happen, and then that will happen, and then we're in the hospital. No, it's really okay. Don't give in, and, and I don't think that fear is logical at all, but it sounds logical to our natural brain. It sounds logical to our heart because sometimes we're so used to hearing the fear-based things, we, don't, we can't acknowledge it as something different than God's Word. We can't, it's hard for us to recognize the fear that we operate in. We're not giving the right type of sacrifices to the Lord. 2 Samuel 6, 14. David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all of his might. Was he required to do that? Nope. <laughs> it was a voluntary tribute to the Lord. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Voluntary, just voluntary, bloodless tribute. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, uh, I'm sorry, let's skip, uh, skip to 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and what? And fellowship offerings. Let's go back to Leviticus. We have an Ola. We start drawing near to God. He's starting to draw near to us. We give, we continue on in this and say, Lord, not only is enough, not only do I want to stay here, but now I've got to do something about this. I want to give you my life. I willingly, I'm willingly running to obey you. And then what happens? You have shalem. Sounds like, like shalom. We get a thanksgiving or a peace or a fellowship offering. Uh, Leviticus chapter 3 verse 1. We just saw David offering this. If someone's offering is a fellowship offering and he offers an animal from the herd, whether male or female, he is to present before the Lord an animal without defect. This is what we were just talking about. Without fear, without blemish, we present something to the Lord because He's worthy of it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 4. First Corinthians 1, 4. I always thank God for you. 
because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. says it the same thing in Peter, doesn't it? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Part of the fear, part of a a poor offering that we give is when we think that this verse isn't true. Therefore, you do not like any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord, for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. I was talking to someone today and we were talking about what it is to be truly kingdom-minded. And it was revelatory uh, and, I, and I'm glad they, 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 came, they came to this understanding. I, I realized that it wasn't like a pie. I said, hey, what? He said, I had the mentality that if I gave you a slice, that was just that much less for me to have. So he said, I wasn't very good at helping other people. I went, oh. But you don't think that now. He's like, no. I, I understand now that it's a limitless pie. I can help you as much as I want. It doesn't take away from me. And I was like, yes, that's being kingdom-minded. And he went, yeah, that's a great way to say it. I was like, I like the pie example, but this is, this is, what the kingdom, this is how the kingdom works. Yeah. Verse 8, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. That God call, that drawing near again. Turn to um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Let's have a thanksgiving. Let's have a fellowship. Let's be at peace. The right kind of order in our lives so that God can use us and we can give Him a sacrifice. Look at the next one. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 3. So we've gone through an Ola, a Mincha, a Shalem, and now we're at a Chata. Chapter 4, verse 3 in Leviticus says this, If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a chata, as a sin offering. Now, did some reading on this. Um, Again, hold your place there. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. found something that was interesting. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 47. 1 Kings 8, 47 says this. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their conquerors and say, we have sinned We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. These are three categories that the uh, Hebrews look at and say, these are categories of sin. We have sinned. The word there is hata. H-A-T-T-A-H. What they're looking at when we're supposed to korban is this. We korban, we bring something near to the Lord because we want to have fellowship with Him. And the closer that we get in fellowship, the more He helps us to deal with our sin. Not the other way around. Let me say it this way. The result of us drawing close is that our sins are taken care of and that we're near to God. The focus of us doing the offering is actually just to come close to Him. The focus is just to be drawn near to God. The offerings, whether any one of these 
Even if we've missed, we've been led astray, we feel condemned, we've done something unintentional, we've had this problem, we've sinned. What it is is, Lord, I want to be close to You. I'm coming to You and I'm being, I want to be drawn close to You. And because I'm drawing close to You, then You'll help me with my sin. This sounds like a small difference and it means everything. I want to draw close to God. I want to draw close to God. I've made a mistake. I still want to draw close to God. This is designed to help us because if not, then all we're doing is sin managing in our life. We're managing sin. We're trying to see how long it's been since our last sin. We're measuring our success on the span of time in between sinning. Or that this one wasn't as bad as the last one. Or haven't really done that. It starts getting very, very weird in our hearts. And you have a bunch of people running around in Christianity with some sincere hearts to a point, but they don't understand this. I do not want this church to be in sin management. Can I tell you how much as a pastor I do not like to have to deal with sin management? Do you know why we make you do the cards? Take your cards, write a verse. Put it in your pocket. When the enemy starts doing it, what are we trying to say? We're trying to say, fall in love with him, draw close to him, and the words on this will become true in your life. Not, well, I've done this, and I can't seem to break through. Then you're not drawing close yet. Draw close to him. Come and be in his presence. Fall before him with no ego in there, with nothing else in your mind except, Lord, if I get close to you, then everything is solved. Everything. Do you need healing? Get close to Him. Do you need more peace in your life? Get close to Him. Do you need, do you need answers? Get close to Jesus. It will, he is the answer. Amen. You don't need more peace. You need more Jesus. You don't need a healing. You need more Jesus. You're like, brother, that's, that's like it's a Sunday school answer. Well, then Sunday school was right. They just didn't know how right they were. When Pastor Eric taught this Monday night, it should be revelatory for all of us. The ways in which we can carry this out may take us a while to do. Yes? Okay, Lord, I've thought about this in a weird way this entire time. What What did Jesus Christ do on the cross? Well, He wasn't having to deal with Him missing anything, with Him being led astray. You know what He was doing? He was working that out for us. His sacrifice on the cross was dealing with this. There were three categories for the Hebrews to look at sin. (laughs) And the result was that their sins were, they had an expiation of their sins. Their sins were canceled. Their sins were covered. But it was the result, not the focus. If we can get that, folks, the answer to what you're struggling with is literally you drawing closer to God. The difficulty that you need to overcome, it's literally the answer is you getting closer to God. It it sounds almost elementary, but it's not. Leviticus chapter 5, as we wrap up. Let's start in verse 5. Leviticus 5, 5. When anyone is guilty in any of these ways, and it just listed them before, so you're welcome to read them, he must confess in what way he has sinned. Parents, do you ever do that with your kids? Tell me what you did wrong. Uh, well, uh. How can they be sorry if they don't know what they did, right? It's amazing how God is a good, good father to us. He must confess in what ways he has sinned. And as a penalty for the sin he has committed, he must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him. This word is asham. Have you ever been ashamed of your sin? Yeah, I did it. I did it. The word is asham. If you add an E at the end of this, you're ashamed or you're ashamed. Right? I've been ashamed of my sin before. (laughs) I've done something 
But the idea here is that when you bring this type of offering, it's a guilt or a guilt offering. Do you know what it, you know what it is, though? The Hebrew concept was more than just you bring in an offering because you made a mistake. You actually had to repent and offer restitution before you can even offer this. Maybe it's why we're in the New Testament and it says, if you come to the altar and you remember that you have something against someone, you're not allowed to give your gift at the altar yet. Leave your gift there. Wait. Because you haven't done the repenting and the restitution that are required for you to come into God's presence like this. If the cross helps us with the hata, then His resurrection helps us to deal with the shame. It helps to deal with the guilt. It gives us the power to overcome these things. Amen. <laughs> I call this love calls. Look at the statement under the steps here. If we can get this, it will free you. It will encourage you. It will bless you. It will strengthen you. Love leads you to Him to deal with your sin. Love is calling us. He's saying, hey, Lord, we want to we ascend to You. We're willing to give anything. We're going to give a, a voluntary tribute to You because You're worth it. Because we want to come in and have fellowship with You. And Lord, the things that we aren't doing, three out of the five, 60% of the way before you even start thinking about sin. Lord, I just want to be close to You. I realize that my sin keeps me from You, but you're, you're getting close to Him and He's going, Hey, Wade, you know how you did that? You know how you said that? You know how you worded that? I'm not pleased with that. Lord, would You help me? I know I can't do this on my own because I want to be with You. Yes, I'll help you. Now let's take care of that. You take care of this and you come closer to me. And then what happens? He comes closer to us. And then he points something out and maybe it's a sham. Lord, I've done it and I know that I did it and I shouldn't have done it. Now what do I do? Let me give you the power to overcome this. Let me, let's, let's come, let me give you the power to deal with your sin. Amen. I'm not trying to play with words. I, I feel like I'm... This is such a great topic. Love leads you to Him to deal with your sin. Amen. What is love compelling you to do tonight? Love leads you to Him. Are there areas where you're not allowing yourselves to be drawn close to the Lord? Either out of arrogance or out of shame. I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I, can't, I can't think of the last time, honestly, that I've come in a service and just went, I'm really doing good. I have nothing to worry about or think about. Like I'm, you people should be happy to see me because I'm doing good. I, I, there's not been a time that I've ever walked into this church when I come in and I feel God's presence, I'm like, nothing to worry about. I have felt so encouraged by His presence. I have felt so alive by His Spirit that I go, oh. there's some phases of worship that we can do. Some that we're focused on us and how weak we are. And then the great spot is when we get to it and we're like, it's you. It's you. It's you. Jesus, it's you. But what about, huh? It's just you. If we all did exactly what we see here on the screen, what do you need that wouldn't be given to you? What could you worry about that wouldn't be crushed? What enemy can stand in God's presence? How can we imagine that? Well, take me past the outer courts, through the holy place. How can we imagine that we will be closer and closer to God? You think somebody's going to run up and attack you when you're in God's presence? You think the king of all creation is going to let that happen to you? 
Yeah, but you don't understand. I, I, I don't need to understand. I've taken this out of a realm of understanding for us and put it in a realm of what we have to do now. You don't need more peace. You need more Jesus. You don't need more power. You need more Jesus. You don't need more money. You just need more Jesus. Amen. Not as a religious exercise, but as running to Him. Would you stand to your feet tonight? Amen.